Welcome to the Big Water Podcast. I am Ross Robertson. Fishing is what we do, but we like to talk about things that ain't necessarily always fishing, too. And that's going to be definitely the case today with my guest, Troy Linder. Uh, his dad and his family is, is kind of legendary in the business, and Troy has followed that suit, but a little bit different in what we'll get into that. Troy, I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, let's talk about some fishing stuff. Let's talk about hey. some non-fishing stuff, too. Okay. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. you know, it's it's definitely a different thing. You know, I, what, the the Troy that I kind of knew early on there. You know, you were a flannel wearing guy from northern Minnesota when you shoveled snow and had needed a snowplow. Now, you know, you're you're a sushi eater, and I don't know if you go skinny jean route, but I mean, you're living in Los Angeles, so this is this is a whole different deal, right? And and we'll talk about some of those things where, again, fishing in northern Minnesota and fishing or trying to fish in California is a whole different ball of wax and a lot of people don't realize just to go fishing what's involved i mean what it takes for you to do that so um i guess give us a little insight you know as far as you know moving out to california and and, and how those things i mean there's that's that's a big deal in itself right yeah it's a, a big move the, the transition you know growing up in central minnesota and you know the, the early days you know, when I was in college, I went to college at Arizona State University. My brother lived out in Phoenix, and actually my cousin Lisa was out there at the same time as well. So I had a little bit of family out there, and I moved out there and went to school there. When I'd come back during my summer, that's when I'd, I'd work in the PWT and kind of help. I'd, I'd um, help set up, tear down, and I'd film, you know, help help the film crew, you know, uh, capture the content there, go out with the anglers, you know, and... And, you know, getting, that was my first real, yeah, I I worked at the office growing up, but, you know, in the field on the PWT, I just learned a tremendous amount. And looking back, you know, I don't know if I, I wish I, I wish I had more photos of the actual behind the scenes, you know, what happened there, there, that was really special times in those early years. And again, that was during the summer when I was in, when I was, um, you know, in Arizona for most of the year. And then... The transition to California came after school, after I graduated. Didn't quite know if I wanted to move back to Minnesota, so I followed some of my uh, friends from college, and we moved out to Los Angeles. I liked the weather, and moved out there, and, and actually got into the you know the fitness industry. I, I uh, guess I should back up slightly before you go there, because in case somebody was living under a rock, like your family. And, and, you know, your dad specifically has helped me a ton. I mean, he helped when I wrote a book. I mean, he helped me with, I mean, just a million things in my early days when I was traveling with Gary Roach and all that. I mean, literally, like, at one point, I was not old enough to drive, and I was driving Gary Roach's boat. You know what I mean? And so all the way back then, I can remember even eating dinner with your dad back maybe, like, 15 years ago after the In Fisherman thing had been sold, and he was telling me about his 10-year plan and all this, and I'm like, man, this guy's a visionary. Like, he's still going. And Mm -hmm. But... But, I mean, your whole family literally is is entrenched in fishing. I mean, how many members of your family, cousins, I mean, your dad, obviously, your uncle, that's, fishing's kind of what the Linder family is, really, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, growing up, growing up and kind of grew up in it, so it, I don't know anything else. Right. It's so not I, weird to you because it's what you know. It's like people that live yeah. in Alaska in the middle of nowhere, they don't, it's weird for them to be around concrete. Exactly, exactly, and it's what I, I kind of grew up in the in the fishing world. Family times when we got together at Thanksgiving and gatherings, we talked fishing. It was all about fishing. Work, you know, it, work was fishing, and most of our family was somehow working in, and still to this day, Linder Media. I don't know how many people are. I think I counted eight family members, eight or nine that are kind of working in and out of the office in, in some in some manner. And growing up, I said growing up in the, you know, dad on TV and Uncle Ron and James and Dan as, as they built the company from and Fisherman, you know, the early days. I remember the original tiny office. Gosh, I was so young at that time. I must have been four or five years old. And I barely remember it. And when they, you know, printing the little pamphlets and the fish reports in the old days and when they had like one office and it was just an open space. And they just, you know, uh, my grandpa was there and everybody was just kind of building this, making it up as they go. And when they bought the building, you know, and, and, and fishermen built up from the television network into the PWT and all these, the radio network and everything. And then, again, at 
switch from there to Linear Media after they sold that in whatever ninety nine or two thousand, and then switched into you know strictly television, you know, video production. Again, my whole life, I don't, you know, it's what right. we grew up, you know, what my brother and I and my family grew, grew up, grew up in, and it's exciting, you know, it's, it's exciting. I still get, you know, excited, you know, when I catch a fish, when I'm, when I, I see a photo, let's say of you holding up like a giant walleye, like that's, ex- you know, I see that and, it, and it's exciting. And, and when that excitement wears off, well, I'm not good. I don't know what I'll do. That's exactly right. People ask me all the time. They're like, man, you've caught a billion of these things and you're still, mm-hmm. I'm like, the minute that I don't, I'm out. But, you know, kind of backing up, I think that as you talk about these things, because I love the behind the scenes stuff, even obviously I know you and your dad and things, but I don't know the whole thing. We could do 10 podcasts and not even mm-hmm. touch on that. But I remember interviewing your dad when we were going to do some, some digital sound bites for my book print book that I wrote maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, something like that. And we had uh, your dad and Dave Sanda on the phone. And you know, I do an impression of your dad, which sometimes you laugh at, sometimes you don't, but uh, that he always just like, just giggles. But uh, I said, I said, so how do you, because I'm I'm still even at this point, you know, just just really involved and engaged in how these things you know, transpire when they did so many things that just there was no ground, like the, the Guggen squads and the people today, there's, there's, there's more of a map to how to do this. And your dad is largely responsible for your family in, in helping provide that map. I mean, when we were doing this interview and I said, so how did you come up with in fishermen? You know, and he said, well, it was the in crowd. And so we thought, hey, we'll make this the in fisherman. That's how the name came about. I'm like, how do you come up with a magazine? And your dad like turned to Dave. I could just like visually see this as we're recording. And he's like, so Dave was fresh out of school. Like Dave said, he was the self-proclaimed kid of the group. And he was like, hey, Daver, uh, on Monday morning, tell me how we do a magazine. <laughs> and he's like, he's fresh out of school. And he's like, what do you mean? It's Friday. And he's like, this weekend, do the research and figure out we're, we're going to make a magazine <laughs> on, on walleyes and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, it's funny to say that. Hey, kids, there was no Google. There wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh, let's just, let's just make a magazine. But yet that that's the the spirit of just like we're going to figure it out and and they've done that you know a million times whether it was the pwt walleye insider and fisherman all of those things and um those people like your dad have laid the groundwork and really your family for the Guggen squads and the youtubers mm-hmm. and all that for allowing it even to be considered what i do even a job you know what i mean so kudos to that and that had to be i mean while it's great for you it, it, it's probably, I look at it kind of differently. That had to be pretty hard for you because you're growing up and, you know, stepping out of that shadow a little bit or, hey, Troy's with this because his dad or, I mean, that had to be, you you, you had some opportunities, no doubt, but that had to be kind of a, I don't know, that had to be tough at the same time, no? It, you know, again, I don't know any other, you know, life than the one I've been living in. And it kind of, for, for the fishing, you know, for the fishing side, when I moved out to Los Angeles, I kind of stepped away after the PWT stuff. I kind of stepped away and I got into fitness to try and cut my own. I guess I wanted to prove to myself, you know, outside of fishing and, and the industry, you know, and I have a passion for health and fitness and sports. And and I kind of came out here. Because let's just tell people, you, you don't want to go into a push-up competition with Troy. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, uh, may, uh, years ago, I used to be. <laughs> now, you know, the, the wear and tear on the body is a little you, bit. You're, you're too humble. You're too humble. But uh, yeah. And and moving out to Los Angeles with zero connections and kind of building up, you know, my own personal clientele. I went and worked at, you know, I started from the ground up as, as low as you can go as a, as a, a staff trainer at, at 24-Hour Fitness and LA Fitness. I did that for one year, took my clients private. And then bought marketing books and went to events on how to market fitness. And, and I sent out mailers. I'd write mailers and I'd buy lists off of the U.S. Postal Service subscriber lists. And I'd buy it and targeted to zip code. And I learned marketing, you know, quite well from that. And to build up my fitness business with zero contacts. And I was able to, you know, meet some incredible people and train some very, you know, some great people. And, and I guess, you know, when I do something like the fishing careers workshop and I try to, you know, inspire people to make a living in the fishing industry and they can look at me, well, of course your connections, your father, well, well, it's the way I built myself up in the industry out here in Los Angeles is the same hurdles that other people are going to have getting into fishing, zero contacts, no 
you know, nobody, don't know anybody, starting at the lowest level as a trainer that you can even, you know, making whatever, $12 an hour or $10 an hour on the floor. I think it was like 10 bucks an hour or something, just picking up weights and trying to sell people on training. <laughs> and and you got to hustle and grind. People that want to make it in this industry, you got to hustle and you got to make good connections and you got to represent yourself well. And that's what I did in the you know, in the industry, in the fitness world and got on actually on, uh, do you remember the, uh, best damn sports show period? Yeah. 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 Yeah, So I was on two episodes of that within a, when I was training Amanda, when we, before we went to the Beijing Olympics, well, she, she went to it. Amanda Uh, Beard, right? The Olympic swimmer. Yeah. For guys at home that don't know the story there, you were, yeah, I mean, that, that's the cool thing, not to interrupt you, but the, the cool thing about I think training that I ever even thought about until you just said that is kind of like fishing or my guide clients. I every day have a person from a different walk of life that we have that common bond of liking fishing, but yet this guy could be an astronaut. I've had admirals in the U.S. Navy, and I've had a dude that empties, you know, he works as a garbage man. And, and the same thing with training. You get people from all walks of life with a common bond of, of wanting to do what you also have a passion for. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, the the... It's fascinating getting to hear people's stories and when you have a, a, a connection and a similar, you know, in the, in the health and fitness world, also in the fishing world, when you when you meet people, you go fishing with them like, like your clients. And if I have a, when I'm fishing tournaments and I fish with somebody, you know, that, that has nothing to do with fish, they just want, they love fishing and they enter these tournaments. I fished with a number of years ago, a gentleman, uh, we're fishing Lake Mead and he, is a guard at San Quentin prison. Who? And he's got and some he, stories. We need to talk to him. Holy cow. And I was like, we had a, a tough bite, tough day in the, but he told me some stories and I'm like, not so tough now. And the guy's just smile, you know, he's just smile. He had a smile on his face. He's like, I'm so happy to be out here fishing. You know, and we're catching pound and a half, two pounders. You know, we had about a nine pound limit, but it was for him. That was the best. And he told me some of the stories that, that he deals with and some of the people and that like these people on death row and like, yeah, they got nothing to lose, man. They don't care. Oh my gosh. But then it kind of puts you in perspective, you know, when you're fishing it, Oh man, it's a tough day on the, well, I mean, there's relatively, you know, you can have bad weather and you have tough bites, but it's not that bad. It's right. really Things not that could bad. be a lot worse, right? Yeah. And the store and the commonality like fishing brings, people together so much it's amazing you know how how just you know from different walks of life different socioeconomic backgrounds that you know the fish don't care and when you're out fishing and 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 you talk to somebody about fishing if they love fishing immediately you have this common interest it seems to be different than like people that love football or passionate about football or other sports it's there's something special about fishing worldwide that people that enjoy fishing even professionally, casually, it's, it's beyond language. It's beyond everything. It's a real, it's a, it's worldwide and it goes back thousands of years. You know, you know, if I'm in an airport and I've got a mercury hat on, people will come up and say, Hey man, do you fish for, you know, you fish. They won't let's say do fish for yeah. a living. Cause that, that's yeah. probably not what they're thinking, but you'll start talking all of a sudden a guy will be like, you do this a lot <laughs> or you know what I mean? Cause it, it's, yeah. it's that common bond and they don't know who, who I am or what I do or anything, but we instantly mm-hmm. have that kind of connection. Um, yeah. and, I, and we both probably have a million stories like that, rather just getting gas when I, I don't have my boat with me and somebody sees something or they see a sticker, you know, on the back mm-hmm. of the truck, uh, or whatever it may be. And you instantly have that uh, camaraderie almost. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, there's just something special about it. And even when I'm like fishing places like here, like the, the Santa Monica pier and, or the LA river, you know, the Santa Monica pier, I, I just throw in a little swim bait and I catch a fish or I'm throwing out like the times throwing out an X wrap. And I, and I, um, I catch a little bonito and I reel it in and it's like you did a magic trick. People that don't follow fishing. It's like you caught a fish live in front of somebody. And it's like, this oh guy's Houdini. This is amazing, you know. It's like no, we do this all. This is what we do, but it's it is amazing in, in public area when you catch a fish and you reel it in. If it's this big, or people are like, oh my, and they take photos of it, and and it's kind of weird when people you don't know are taking photos of you while you're trying to unhook a fish. But 
and you don't know where that's being posted, and that's part also the risk. You know, well, you live in Los Angeles. There's let's, there's a little wacky stuff going on out there. Yeah, right? there there's a lot of wacky stuff going on out here. <laughs> but there's also some great fishing and some great history of fishing here. You know, especially you know the L.A. River where um, salmon I think used to come up and spawn the L.A. River. Really? Before they before they cemented it off, it used to be a big spawning ground, and and the Los Angeles was built because of the river that came through was such a great water source, not only well, water and food, because there were, it was so, you know, so many fish that came up and used it. And then they, I guess for flooding purposes, they, they dammed it off and they put up the concrete in the side and that stopped, you know, 50 years ago, fish would go up and spawn in the LA river or 60 years ago, I think now. So let's back up a second again, get back to that. Cause I, I know I don't know. So I'm sure most people at home don't know Amanda Beard. So, Again, you're 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 cleaning weights and picking up weights for ten bucks an hour. You're building this business up. How do you all of a sudden go to arguably one of the biggest female swimmers of all time, and you're her trainer? Or that's a the uh, you know a couple of my higher profile clients like the, the Scorpions when I trained them for their album and, and Amanda. Amanda came. I was I took uh, Spanish lessons at Beverly Hills Lingual Institute, uh, and one of the you know got. Uh, a gentleman there who was a publicist and uh, into fitness and you know it's a small class you know a dozen people in there we're learning Spanish and and you know it's like he's a publicist I figure you know he's got some you know pretty high profile probably clients and which he did and um, and really nice guy and he's like I'll take you out I'll take you you know I'll train you one time free you know just check out my services so he went out and I trained him one time he's like, all right, I want you to meet with one of my clients, Amanda. So I met, that's how I got to train Amanda through him. That's how that worked. My, my producer, as we were talking, was like, did he just say the scorpions? Like, um, then, yeah, the scorpions. <laughs> he, so that, he must be, maybe he's a, he's a rocker. I don't know. The, um, the, uh, the scorpions, that was a, that was an amazing, uh, amazing experience and how that, you know, you don't, I don't talk a lot about how that happened. So, uh, a friend of mine, trainer that we trained together at 24 Hour Fitness, and years later we trained at the same small kind of boutique gym. There's you know a single gym that just independent trainers work out of, and he was get, he was moving away and he had some clients and and one of them was his producer Desmond Child, and he's moving away and Desmond Desmond produced Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet and a bunch of other Ricky Martin's Living La Vida Loca you know very high profile. Um, music you know producer and writer and i think he's we like, need well, some slippery one wet when we like cut this we need to throw some in there. <laughs> yeah i don't know if we can afford that but i think we'll, we'll want to throw some of that in there yeah yeah i don't know living on a prayer or something i don't know yeah oh my god great out that that album is incredible it's just like hit after hit after hit and and so i trained desmond so so my uh, my friend i he moved away and desmond still had had a number of uh training sessions still available so i said yeah i'll take over you know, for him, and I'll, I'll train Desmond. Um, so I trained him, and, and then I uh, got to got to know Desmond and train him. Great, you know, great man, really, really smart. Those guys, it's just he's on another level. You know, with music, he's just he looks up and he's thinking of something and producing somebody's out. You know, when I'm training him, he's just would he would get on the phone and think of something and call about whatever artist that he's talking to and. And just the way his mind works, just to be around someone like that was uh, was pretty awesome. And one day he comes into the gym. He's like, I have a new client for you. I said, okay. He's like, all right. This is about noon. He's like, I want you to train the Scorpions. Because he wrote their album, Humanity Hour One. He was producing that album and helping write it. And I'm like, okay. Like all, he's like, all of them. You have three hours. I want you to go up to Hollywood, meet them at, um, I forget the studio, the one studio they're in there right now. And I said, what about, yeah, you set them up with everything. They need massage therapists. They want trainers. They want dietitians, everything. And I'm like, I'm like a one-man guy. You know, it's just I'm a solo guy. And I'm like, okay, so no problem. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I, I went to Staples. I bought this nice new shoulder bag to make myself look more professional. I went home and I printed out all these um uh, waivers and all these forms. I dress nice. I remember having the air conditioner. I was driving like this. 
I had the air conditioner vents pointed at my armpits because I was so nervous I was sweating through my shirt. So I was driving like this, and I had the air conditioner. I thought trainers to work like sleeveless in California, like yo, bro. Well, well, bro? I to, you know, I had a, I had a call, you know, I had a nice kind of collared shirt. Okay, okay. And 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 I went in there, and I met with the band, and I got to meet the guys there, and and that's how I ended up training them. And they said, you know, they said, do you have do you have this? Do you have this? I said, yeah, I got massage therapists. I got Klaus, uh, the lead singer. Klaus likes to play tennis. So, yeah, I got a tennis pro. None of it. I had none of it. And so after I met with them, I had to go find, and I did it in two days. I found like five trainers. I figured out how to do I, I went to Google, and I was like, uh, independent trainer agreement, printed it out, put it into Word document, rewrote it, changed the wording to my business, figured that out, got massage therapists, got dietitians. I think I got a crew of like 10 people in two days going from, and just figured it out. And then I trained them for the Humanity Hour 1, and this is why I was fishing tournaments too. So I'd have the, you know, I'd train some of them sometimes. i have other people, and I'd go and I'd fish tournaments. And I actually went up to see them. I went up to Clear Lake. They played at Clear Lake at Canocti, the casino that isn't there anymore. But they played a concert there. I went and I saw them there and I actually brought my boat up and I fished. Uh, and I tried to take them out in the lake, but they couldn't. They didn't have enough time with the schedule and that. But I wanted to take them out fishing, catch some of the big bass in Clear Lake. Um and that's, you know, some of the, the journey, you know, I got out of the, the fitness industry, per, full-time personal training once I kind of transitioned for Ontario Experience and got more involved with Linder Media a few years ago. I mean, the, the fitness thing, obviously, when you were doing it, I mean, to me, obviously, you were, that's how you were making a living, paying for all that expense of mm-hmm. Los Angeles. I mean, it cost millions of dollars just to try to eat and, and feed yourself there but i mean how i kind of got to know you even better i think was when you were doing stuff i, I can't remember what you call it fishing for fitness or something mm-hmm. and you're doing some stuff with flw uh, we we did some articles together for yeah. flw and i think maybe even in fish i don't honestly don't remember outdoor life or somebody but you know that because that was an aspect is because fitness was a part of my life and i realized you know it just it, it really helped me even at a young age and you were kind of taking that to a new level. And, and a lot of guys back then especially were like, nah, nah. And they, we think of fishermen as, as a beer belly crowd, like a fat old mm-hmm. guy. And mm-hmm. a lot of these guys just did not embrace that. And I think even with some of your stuff, I, I know that there was different people that had saw it, didn't know I know you. And they're like, what's this all about? And I'm like, this, is, this, is, this isn't just a fishing thing. This is a lifestyle change, man. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a guy giving you some really good insight that, uh, that applies specifically to fishing, whether it's nutrition and or working out, that even if you don't make a cast, this is good. But he's, you're tailoring, tailoring that specifically to the things like your back and legs and arms and, mm-hmm. and stuff that, you know, we put a lot of wear into. I mean, like your dad, I can remember years ago wearing a tennis elbow thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, exactly. musky guides, same thing, and, and different things that you can tailor with that. And, I mean, I, I wish that that would have gotten bigger or people would have embraced that. But I still think even nowadays people just they don't understand how important fitness and even more important nutrition is. And, and that's probably I'd like to get some tips from you that you can help these guys because this is not like you even have to have a personal trainer. To, to, to do these things and you don't have to spend millions of dollars on nutrition right exactly and and the information when it did the fit for fishing it was more of not how to get your bench up and you know squat 300 pounds and it was it was more about life as you said like a overall just general well-being you don't have to be ripped you don't have to there's programs all over the internet for that if you want to get swollen and do that this is no more problem. Yeah, get just like no neck and all that. But this is more like elbow, like my elbow hurt. This is, you know, real issues that face fishermen. The the muscles that people don't realize, like as a guide on the Great Lakes, we get the piss beat out of us. And you'd be amazed at how many people that fish a couple days with me. And they're like, dude, how do you do this? Because they're using muscles and stabilizing muscles that they don't normally work and they don't realize. And Mm -hmm. I mean, so tell me about some of that stuff. Yeah, we're on a moving platform. The boat is literally an unstable surface, and depending on the waves like that, the body has to right itself. Writing, right, you know, is, is the ability of the body. You know, if you close your eyes and you crawl up, any 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 position that you do, can you point straight up? And you could probably point, depending on where you are, you can close your eyes, no matter how you're manipulated, it's writing. The body knows where up is. And 
And on the platform like that, you're, the body constantly has to adjust to try to keep yourself, no matter this, the body wants to stay like this. So the boat and the waves are going like this, and you don't want to go like that. You want to stay up like that. So what's going like this, these muscles have to work, the other muscles have to work. And you're also twisting and turning, and especially when you're on big water like you are. I mean, that's, a, that's even more so, I, I think- even more so. Yeah, I get tight when I don't work out. I mean, I'm not lifting heavy anymore, but I get tight quickly, and I, I need that constant thing. And I know a lot of people, again, listen to this, or I'm like, yeah, okay. But even if you're not going to work out, you know, look at some of Troy's stuff. I know you can Google and find some of that stuff from FLW and some of those other yeah, things back in the day. But, but, you know, doing the stretching thing is so important. But, again, not to sound like somebody's mother here, but backing up the reality is even if you work out seven days a week, you know, you can't, what do they say, you can't outdo in the gym what you do in the kitchen. Or something mm-hmm. like that, where, you know, for me, again, it's going to be different for everybody, but, you know, like my my mouth loves dairy, but my body doesn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, you know, and then the same thing, like just cutting pop out here. I kind of, you know, I used to drink can or two a pop a day and I mm-hmm. feel so much better. And again, I'm not trying to give somebody some lesson or tell you what you got to do, but the reality yeah. is, is fishing aside, these are lifestyle changes that with all of the simple options we have, and especially as a fisherman that travels and, mm-hmm. you know, you're in gas stations and you're eating this and that and tournaments early mornings, late nights, yeah. even more of a reason that you need to look at, at trying to find some type of alternative. Mm-hmm. I mean, just... Even if it's just simply drinking water, because almost all of us, I never realized how dehydrated I was early in my adult life because of these bad choices and because of being on the go too much and not stopping taking the time. And those things alone, even if you don't follow any of like your advice, is huge, is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gigantic. At this last tournament that I, that I fished this past week, I did not drink enough water. And it was cold out, and I had my jug of water out, and you drink, it's cold out, and I'm drinking cold water. I'm like, I just don't, you know, it'd be better if I, you know, try to left it in the compartment where it stay a little bit warmer. But it's a constant challenge, you know, based on traveling and you're out in the lake. It's easy when it's hot out and you got a cold Gatorade or you got a cold water, you know, it's really easy to drink. You know, when it's cold out, it's harder to, to hydrate yourself. And if you're hydrated before you go out, the, the effects are going to be a lot less on the body. So when, I mean, because you, again, you travel a lot and we'll talk about that in a second, but even if it's, maybe it's a, it's a weekend getaway for somebody for you, it may be a tournament, you know, and you're to avoid eating pizza and gas station food and sandwiches and stuff like that. Do you have a little regiment that you do or there are supplement things that are healthy? Cause a lot of the problem is a lot of these so-called supplements or healthy things are actually shit for you too. Yeah, and they're yeah, expensive. There's, yeah, and there's so much out there. There's oh my gosh, you go into any store, there's just so much garbage out there. I like the. Um, I'll get bar. Oh, right here. I just had this mic. I like Cliff bars. They one thing about bars like this is they in hot weather, cold weather, they stay pretty good, especially hot weather. Some of those bars will melt. So when you're out fishing and you know in the in the in the heat of the summer. Or spring or fall, you know, the, these hold up pretty good. And most gas stations pretty much across the country have these. Or, or little granola bars, you know, to supplement. Um, the past few years, I'm with Wilderness Athlete, so I take, like, this mule replacement with. I put this in the, you know, into little water bottles in the boat, and I take this with. Is that like a protein it. shake type deal? It's a meal replacement, yeah. So each scoop, it's uh, about 200 calories, and it's kind of a balanced. It's about a 200-calorie meal. Sometimes I'll double up so I get a 400-calorie meal. mixes really easily, um, and it tastes really good. You can mix it in water, and it mixes up. I've had other – I've tried a lot of other um, shakes, and some of them are clumpy. This, you basically just put it in, put it in a water bottle, shake it up, and it'll mix very easily. And – and when you go to places like fast food, I usually just get a chicken, just get the grilled chicken wrap or grilled chicken sandwich. Um, Skip a lot of the times pop just, and fries. Yeah, you don't have because you don't have much of a choice. You know, a lot of times you just don't have much of a choice. So I'll get like two chicken sandwiches, and it's it's just a better. Sometimes you just what's the best option or a better option. You know, it's not the perfect option, but it's a better option. You know, a Subway sandwich over something else. You know, granted, you know, a big piece of bread with the, it's still you know some of the processed meat, but it's a little bit better. And and I think those choices when you're when you're trying to make just a little bit better choice, you know, one choice here, one choice there, it adds up over time. And, you and know, it's tough in small town. 
it you is. know, when we don't have a lot and, of options. And that's kind of what I wondered, you know, as you rotate that in, because me and you were, were talking about, and you ended up going, I just couldn't make it work with my schedule to, uh, to Europe to do a Xander trip, mm-hmm. which you ended up doing and had some good success with that. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. even more complicated when you get overseas because you do even less of, of things. And tell me a little bit, I mean, we won't get into too much more in the nutrition thing, but I mean, the thing that I just, I know that I've learned a lot from you and, and would like to learn a lot more, and I'm sure the guys listening will too, is, you know, how do you set up these trips? Because, you know, I follow you on social media, we text back and forth. Mm-hmm. And you go all over to you, some unique places. These are not like carnival cruise deals. I mean, you're, you're in some some really interesting places and getting to experience some, like, you should have your tra- own travel show. I mean, I know you <laughs> kind of do with the Canadian thing with that Ontario yeah. experience. But, you know, tell us about some of these trips. You just got back from, was it uh, one of the Asian countries or was Thailand. it? Thailand. Yeah, China and Thailand. Well, mainly Thailand. Yeah, so, the, you know, I, I love fishing. Well, number one, I love fishing new water, whether it's, like in the springtime, going to uh, as simple as the Dakotas or even exploring new lakes in California, Arizona, uh, across the, when I, when I would travel, they kind of started, you know, some of these, the, the seed for some of this was when I'd travel from California back to Minnesota. I just pull up, if I saw, you know, I'd kind of plan my, my route and I'd just pull over the road and just fish, fish a bridge piling, fish a little lake. And most of the time I strike out, but, but, that excitement of new water and and new challenge, you know, is, is a lot of fun. And I looked at, you know, around the world, some of these, you look at some of these trips and, and there's lodges and there's other things around the world that, that are pretty expensive. You know, if you want to do a guide, guided trip or you go, you go to these different areas in Europe and this, and it can get kind of expensive. So I kind of do it the, the street fishing route where, you know, how can I go there? Can I rent a boat? And I just kind of do it on my own. It's I control my own schedule, and and you know, it's a little bit say, tougher for a guy that owns a Ranger bass boat. You sure do fish out of a lot of uh, you I know, do. <laughs> waders, or I've seen you in these with a the little Minn Kota, you know, electric on a, on a rental mm-hmm. boat. Um, you know, we've talked about this a lot privately. Yeah. And, I, and how many times, like you said, that you're fishing by a bridge somewhere with one of those little travel rods you got? You probably use a travel rod more than you do your your other stuff. Yeah. This this is the right here. So this. You see, this is one of the ones. This is a St. Croix. This is the Triumph Travel. And you can see this is the rod right there. I'll put it in the screen. It's four mm-hmm. they, make a, they make a few of them. I think four, four different models, I believe, a medium light and, um, up to like a medium heavy or a light up to a medium heavy. And you can see this fits in a backpack and also in your carry-on as well. And then I also have heavier rods like this that are taped together. They kind of tape two of these St. Croix cases together. These are heavier, a little bit heavier. I don't always bring these, but the four-piece ones, I mean, you can, these things, these are really simple to carry. And and you're, tra- you're traveling pretty light on a lot of these trips that I see. I mean, backpack, yeah. travel rods, I mean, not a lot of gear. You really got to kind of think about, you know, a little tackle box and, and have some diverse oh tackle. Oh, my gosh, that's, you're so right with that. I usually bring, most of the times, I'll have one bag of plastic, one Ziploc bag of plastics, and then I'll have one, I have usually just one regular tackle bot, one uh, hard case. And I'm trying to guess what the fish will bite. A lot of times I'm wrong, but I bring swim baits. Um, best thing that I've found, moon eye jigs. These work everywhere in the world for about any fish. Leadhead <laughs> jig, man. Leadhead with a swim bait on there. You can't. You cannot beat that. Or jerk bait, I bring an X-wrap. And, and a single hook for, for carp species, bread on a hook. A lot of fish, if they feed on the bottom, catfish, carp fish, they hit that without question. So, so give me a tip here as far as, like, if I was to go on a, the next trip with you, you know, what would I find out the hard way that we can save these people? What, what's the, aside from the pack rod and traveling light and kind of having a diverse mm-hmm. setup? The you know. different countries have in Europe that I found out, the different countries have very different fishing regulations and rules. Um, and I didn't, like, Netherlands is the easiest. By far, you just get a Vis Pass. It's about forty bucks. You can pretty much fish any water in the Netherlands if you go over there, and it's loaded with fish. You have other countries like Switzerland, and I didn't know. I tried to find online a lot of these, you know, these regulations, and a lot of it's in another language and it's lost in translation. And I didn't know in Austria and Vienna that I showed up to fish and get a fishing license. Found out I couldn't get it. I had to take an exam, 
and then I can only, and I flew all the way over, and I had these fish. I walked around the city. I flew all the way over there, and I went to Fish Bratislava, and it was a hundred dollars for a day pass. I'm like, all right, I'm not okay. Never mind. hundred bucks to fish. Are we spoiled it's over here? Or what? Well, it was oh, for okay. the you had to get the whole year thing, but I didn't know till I literally got there, and. And, you know, places like the Netherlands, we went to the Netherlands, it would be really easy. You fly to Amsterdam, you can fish the canals, catch sander, and catch carp, and catch a lot of, you know, cool fish right there, right in the Amsterdam Are, are there any resources online that can help people make these, or is it just kind of almost to kind of find out the hard way, because there's so much you got to find out the hard way. Kind of, you, there's it's like some... Alaska. Alaska is brutal. I mean... Really? Can, yeah, Alaska, you can only... I mean, God, I mean, and we know the language, right? You, you can only fish this stretch of the river with a guide. You can only go this stretch of the river Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can only fish fly fishing over here. This is only open every other week. Oh, they close the season because they met a quota. You you almost have to have a guide in a lot of sections of Alaska to just be legal, and it sounds like that's this kind of the same in places of Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the boat and the European boat regulations for rental boats is you can't have anything over 40 horse unless you have a license, unless you have a European license, so... We rent a boat, it's a smaller horsepower, and some of those lakes are a little bit bigger, and like Holland's Deep and Volkerak and, and that, you can get around, but you're putzing around at 10 miles per hour, which is still fine. I mean, it's still a, no problem with that. And, and you know, when I go at Lake Thailand, I, I asked around for, I tried to find some information. Everything geared me towards fishing parks. So they had those fishing parks that they stock all the big fish in, and besides that you got to go way into the jungle with a guide to catch fish and that was your two options so, so basically it's like coming to the u.s and then fishing on one of those stock trout ponds and not yeah. going not going to clear lake or lake Erie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's what i was just it was kind of disappointing because i couldn't find there's no information so when i went there i brought you know just I, I i pack really light for my attack i probably bring 10 pounds is all the tackle, just go weight to about 10 pounds and try to bring crankbaits, jerkbaits, hooks, weights, everything, soft plastics, and try to make it about 10, 12 pounds. And considering I mean, in my guide boat I carry about 1,000, uh, <laughs> getting getting to 10 sounds like, oh, that's a lot of weight. It's not when you add this stuff up at all. Gosh, it's, you put in some lead heads and some tungsten weights, and it's so quick. And some of the, the shad wraps and extra, you know, lighter baits like that, but then they get bulky. Um, and the challenge, you know, I like the, the challenge of some of the public waters, like when I was fishing in, in Phuket, like the, the natural river there, some of the, the waters are kind of dirty, but I mean, here in the U.S., we got some dirty rivers too. And, and the challenge of that, even if the fish are small to go over there without a guide and you're just walking around the city and putting up my GoPro, and then I'm also making watching who's walking by. They don't steal my GoPro, um, you know, because you don't want to set your rod down and get a stolen people coming by in a, in a moped, and they just can grab it really, really easily. So you're watching your equipment. People wouldn't do that. Never. And then making sure that a white guy in another country with a chestnut on and a GoPro and fishing equipment, you're a big, you're. They're target. They're big target. You're a big target. Just, you just got to flex them guns, you know, and just show them what's up every now and well, then. So they flex a gun on me or a knife, and, and they get everything, you know. And it's a reality, you know, the safety. I've never had any issues. I've been to some pretty sketchy areas. But I go there during the day. You know, pretty much it's the sun's out. I wouldn't go to some of those areas at night, and I'm very careful of where I go. But it is fun. And a lot of times you don't need, like Japan, you don't need a fishing license. Some of the rivers so you can fly into, you fly into Tokyo, Osaka, and you can just go and fish those rivers without a license. Um, really? And some of the lakes you do need a license, but some of the main rivers you can just go there and fish them. But if you do catch a largemouth, and if you look at my videos, if you do catch a largemouth bass in Japan, you're not supposed to release it. So if you really? look at my, if you look at my videos uh, from my Japan series on my YouTube page, you won't see any video of any largemouth released. And you can guess if I released those or kept them. What? I won't say. Wait, 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 yeah, wait, wait, wait a minute. Because, uh, I mean, for They're, people that don't know, 
bass fishing, I mean, you can go down to like, I work with Ranger boats and I know you run one. You go down to Ranger and you start seeing these like yellow and purple and orange, I mean, crazy color boats, you know, when I'm, when I'm down at the factory for meetings and such. And I, every time I don't even ask anymore because I know where they're going. They're going to Japan. I mean, bass mm -hmm. fishing is pretty big. I mean, baits over there, you know, I've seen you go over there and buy stuff. You get these mm -hmm. one-off or these, like, they're almost like artists that design these baits. Mm -hmm. You get three, four, five, six hundred dollars or more swim baits, um, you know, that's a whole podcast one itself. But the yeah. point is, is fishing's pretty big in Japan. I mean, there's mm -hmm. been a bunch of guys that have come over and fished the Elite Series from Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. Shin Fakai. I mean, you could go on with a bunch of those guys. Mm -hmm. uh, Morzizo or however you say his name. Uh, but at any mm -hmm. rate, so on all of these lakes, they catch and kill? On Biwa specifically. Because that's a trophy lake. For well, it is. Well, here's the thing. You're... Suppo you're not supposed to release them, but Air, he, he, Troy's giving us air quotes. Those that are working out at the gym right now are driving to work. Um, so, so, but fishermen are, are self-policing themselves unofficially. Yes, and 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 you know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble over there. But the, the fish population is healthy. The bass are healthy, and and any fish that I caught there was obviously really, you know. Oops, yeah, I accidentally yeah. lost I, yeah. I tried to get, but yeah, it did. slipped out of my hand. Every fish I caught accidentally went back in the water. So, so are bass not as highly regarded there, or is it because of the populations being so high? I mean, with carp, I mean, like in Europe, for a lot of people that know, carp in Europe are more highly regarded as our pike, I would think, even more so than mm -hmm. bass. I mean, like carp rods in, in, let's say, England, as you, I think, know, 10, 15, 20 grand for these crazy are they that much they i mean not that all of them are but they can be yeah. I mean, we're talking carbon fiber and all these wow. i mean yeah i've got a buddy that that's into that stuff i mean they're, it's they're they're way into that now over here generally speaking we think of carp as kind of a joke but over Actually, there you know pike it's a different different deal it's mm -hmm. to totally different deal so in japan i mean how do those bass with the masses of fishermen how do they really the you know it's the trout the trout in lake biwa you know, there, there's something, and I don't know the specifics of it, but I know that in Lake Biwa especially, you know, the, the bass are, I think there's barrels on the shore that I saw, and he talk, to, told me about it. There's bear, if you do catch a fish, you're supposed to, bass, you're supposed to put it in a barrel. But I don't think, it, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's really doing that. I mean, there's not that many, you know, the bass population in there. The lake is gigantic. It's 300 feet deep. It's huge. Bass aren't doing that much. Well, I mean, if when, when I heard the word trout, because, you know, I always give all my buddies that are trout guys a, a hard time. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like on the West Coast. I can remember old Gary Roach stories from the 80s out there where they were throwing walleyes on the bank on the Columbia River because of the precious trout. You know what I mean? So as you go to different places, even with the United States, there's a, I don't even know what you'd want to call it, but the, it's not a preference. I mean, it's just this wacky mindset of what's more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very selective over here. And we're blessed to have as much fishing and as much fish as we have in thailand for instance everything is caught and kept that's why you have fishing parks and that's why you have to go way, way up the river because everything when i was fishing in in chiang mai in phuket if you caught a fish and people so i went to this one area i caught a catfish i threw it back i thought i was going to get like murdered they looked at me like what the hell's wrong with you and everything that's caught is kept over there, and especially is nets. That, is that because it's dinner? It's dinner. Yeah. It's a food source. You catch a fish, it doesn't matter what it is. If you don't even know what it is, cut it up, put it in the soup. And so, it's food family. It's food for the family. I realize this is a somewhat ignorant question because each country is going to be different. But do you think, because I, I almost feel like fishing, while not in the United States, is becoming a rich man's game because it's just getting so much more expensive to participate. I mean, in Europe is, because I've traveled in Western Europe, you know, and done some fishing, and there you don't see a lot of boats. Most people don't have, you know, big trucks to pull a boat with. I mean, to own a boat is kind of a big deal within itself, or so a lot of it is shore fishing. So I guess my question is, you've traveled a lot. Is the general perception over there is that not many people fish? Do a lot of people fish? Is it a rich man's game? Is, you know, like... it's Well, it is, because there is so much shore fishing. So you only need a rod and, you know, you just need one rod, you know, to go out there and catch fish. To own a boat, it is, because the right, you have to get a license. You have to pass an exam. Many countries, you have to pass a big fishing exam, like Germany. You have to take a test. 
for the exam. Austria, same thing. You have to sit down, you take a multi-day test, you got to pass a course. To be able to operate a boat, you have to take a big exam. You got to go out in the boat and show that to get your boating license. Hey, well, some of the and, people I've seen on the Great Lakes, I wouldn't mind if we had that almost. <laughs> I do, and I'm there with you. I wish there was some form of that here in the U.S., especially if you're getting a big bass. Anything over 20 feet or up or something to that, like show that you can operate that boat. I'm really not for more regulation, but sometimes it's, it seems like, good God, man, people are just insane. Yeah, for safety, for man, for safety. I mean, for safety and some of the stuff you see people launching boats. I'm like, geez, like you, you know, you can afford that, but just take some backup lessons. So, um, and, and again, I know a lot of your travels because, like I said, we we talk and see your social media stuff. And you guys, mm-hmm. if if you do yourself a favor and go look at some of Troy's social media stuff and follow along, you get to see it's almost like going on National Geographic with some of his <laughs> crazy travels, but. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that the Netherlands are pretty easy. I mean, that would be maybe a mm-hmm. good trip if somebody wanted to start Excellent off with, with going overseas. What are some other places that you've either hit and would do again or recommend to somebody like me or that you would put on your list that you're going to be doing soon, just haven't got to yet? You know, France, France is pretty fishing friendly. And, you know, each, each, um, each little county there, you know, has their own license and it's pretty easy. You can get it online. So you just go online, you can do the little translate thing and it's, and it's fairly easy in France, um, to get a license and, and they have a lot of good fishable water there. I just fished in Eastern France when I was there, when I went to the VMC factory and the countryside there is incredible. And there's places just to pull up right on shore and you can fish right from shore and catch some fish there. And Switzerland is very regulated. I would, it's in Zurich. There's some great fishing in downtown Zurich, and I, I, I do want to go back and fish there. The, that's where I caught that big barbel. There's some giant fish in there, and in, in Switzerland, you have to, per regulation, when you catch a fish, you, you you know, like fishing in downtown, single barbless hook, and when you catch the fish, you have to hit it with a blunt instrument and try to kill it right away, so it only suffers once. You cannot catch and release, hmm. unless you did not intend to catch that fish. And in my case, I did not intend to catch, I was trying to catch a Xander on bread. Air quotes. Eric, I was trying not to, you know, the fish that I caught, I did not try. You, you did, were not into catch, I, But I, you're I, supposed to, you read the regulation, you're supposed to kill every, unless it's too small to keep or too big. There's, they have some wording in there. But there's you're been lots of air quotes it. here. You're, and they talk about a bat. They're supposed to carry a bat, hit the fish and keep it. Every you know, fish if I carried a bat with some of the people that I fish with, I probably would use it on them. <laughs> <laughs> or they'd use it on me. I mean, it, yeah. it would turn into UFC really fast. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to me because, you know, I've heard this from other people, and I just go, because over here, you know, you just like, what? But, mm-hmm. uh, but again, are these are, uh, again, let's, we'll not get too political, and I'm not trying to get subpoenaed or get you in trouble either. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is, a lot of the people that think make these laws, no different than in our country here, well, let's forget fishing even for a second, the people that are making these laws and regulations don't even know about what they're, they're portraying. No, they don't. They have no they, clue. They don't they, even know what it means. No, they don't know what it is to catch a fish, to be out there. And it's, and it's too bad they disconnect from, from government and politics to fishing. And it's just respecting you know respecting the resources some of these regulations either are too lax or, or too heavy and and i've seen that over there when i go to some of these countries i'm just trying i just want to go catch a fish and release it and sometimes it's interesting i haven't mentioned this like i go somewhere like like um i don't know thailand or I go somewhere if i catch a fish and i forgot i forgot the way i was gonna gonna work if i catch a fish hold it up nice and release it people will complain on shore that I released it and didn't keep it. And then people on social media will complain that I hurt the fish or miss or, or if I, I'm sorry, if I, that was, that was right. You're like, damned if you do damned if you don't. And exactly. If I keep the fish, then the people on shore are good. If I release it, they get mad. And then social media, why would you keep a, it's, it's this amazing, uh, you know, con, you it's know, like, it's, it's, we're, we're just talking politics without talking politics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And people on social media love to comment on fish posts and this when they don't know that. See, I, I'm not familiar with that. I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen any opinions on social media. Oh my god! 
gosh, it's just uh, it's unbelievable what you know these internet experts they get on there. Keyboard commandos is my term. Keyword, yeah, I like that. Keyboard commandos they get on there and have zero clue about what it, they don't even know anything about anything about fishing when they're getting on there and commenting about something and what you used in this and it's like oh my gosh, just the ignorance and it's a very very small, but it's a vocal. Um, portion of social media and it's too bad that it's that it's there because it ruins i don't think it helps grow the sport and also i think to some instant you know the social media with with people posting so much is that it's also hurting some of the fisheries by seeing in the background where people are fishing going to those spots and then people going there to catch a fish to be able to why do you want to catch so i can hold up the fish and show it it's like okay well you know would you do that if you aren't going to take a. You're just going to. Would you still go out and fish well, if there was no social media? And you know that's a great point because I get that all the time because I, I, I'm conflicted because contractually, as you are, we have to promote and you know show these things. I mean, I'm taking pictures and we're out doing the, all these different mm-hmm. things. Personally, I don't want anything to do with any of that stuff. Personally. I don't mm-hmm. want anybody to know where I'm at, what I'm doing. I just like to keep to myself. But the reality yeah. is, is that's not really what I signed up for in 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, back mm-hmm. when we started our career, you know, I was talking with a, on a podcast with another guy, um, and basically he was kind of said that same thing. He said, you know, there used to be secrets. You know, tournament guys used to have secrets. Now on, you know, Bass Tracker Live, we see what the guy is throwing before the tournament's over. Other guys in the tournament know what the guy is throwing. And on the spot, on the point. Exactly. Where what icon is sitting right there, and the like? Oh, they're fishing that little. And so, yeah, I mean, where where a guy may have done well on a ledge or something, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a club tournament there with 200 boats on it. The next Mm -hmm. weekend, it's burnt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's the same thing, again, with the social media thing. And, and I, I don't want to go on that tangent too much because we've already been there a million times before about would you really be doing this if it wasn't for the picture? Would, yeah. Are you really just handing this fish to your girlfriend to take a picture because she's mm-hmm. kind of a smoke show and mm-hmm. you're trying to get some likes on something? Like, what does that even mean? What does that really even do for any of us? Would, would you do this, you know, where I know the answer is me and you, if social media, if for some reason the Facebook just crashed, we're still going to keep doing what we're doing. Absolutely. I would like it better that I wouldn't have to take the time to try mm-hmm. to set up lighting. And I'm always fighting with producers and guys. I'm fighting mm-hmm. with that producer right behind me all the time. With you know, he, he produced my TV show for like nine years, and we're always fighting for production value and, and mm-hmm. not being able to get the right shot, even though that's what we got to do to catch them and get over here. Turn the boat yeah. this way, can't because of the current. Yeah. And the problems, obviously, you and your family know a whole lot about. I just mm-hmm. got done shooting a commercial with you guys and. Uh, for for a mutual sponsor and it's just it's it's so involved you know mm-hmm. with what you have to do people have no idea on it's mm-hmm. the complexity to make something look simple and easy mm-hmm. yeah and getting yeah getting the and it's the feeding the content to the sponsors in, in this that which it needs to be there and some of the tur- you know when you talk about the tournaments and because you can go to some lakes and and if you don't show the background or you don't show this but you're showing the you're trying to promote lures and you're trying to promote areas, and it's it's a balance. You can do that without burning fisheries, but some of the tournament areas, it's just the nature of what it is, unfortunately. And I think that's why the tournament world is is there's so many people making a living. I'm one of them that's outside of tournaments anymore because that that whole complexity has changed, and a lot of those guys haven't adapted. Again, like we said, we're doing podcasts, we're doing all these different things to to do the same thing in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've got friends. I've got friends that are like old enough to be my grandpa, you know, fishing buddies. That they're listening mm-hmm. to podcasts now, and that's why I'm like, yeah. man, I, I got to do a podcast. Like, if I've got a dude who's seventy something, listen to podcasts while driving down the road, we're missing out if we're not offering this. Mm-hmm. And and again, and it offers a whole different thing because I think it's neat. And we're getting way off topic, but who cares? Because we got no agenda here, right? Yeah, I think it's neat to hear. I mean, I've known you a long time, I've known your dad like a really long time. But you know, knowing these little things and the behind-the-scenes stories on how you grew your thing. I mean, to me, that's no different than when I get to fish with somebody that I, I haven't fished with before. You get to know a lot about them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it's like that with these with these podcasts. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, rarely on these do we ever start talking about. I mean, we haven't hardly today a wacky rig or a Tokyo rig or anything specific like that because the reality is that changes. Nobody cares. I mean, they care, but they don't. But, yeah. but seeing the faces and learning about this stuff to me is much more interesting. I mean, I know that, you know, this overseas thing, fishing, is, is super, super. I'm, I'm, I'm just 
entrenched in learning all of these things. And, you know, I was hoping you give us some more tips as far as some of maybe, maybe not a tip, but give us a horror story. Cause then that's sometimes the best tip, you know, give us a horror story of some of your travels overseas where it just shit hit the fan. Uh, two weeks ago when the coronavirus <laughs> broke out and we had to fly through Shanghai. Did you get one of those nice little masks and everything? Yeah, we wore it. Yeah, we wore it. And when we got over there, my girlfriend got warned on social media about a month ago, actually more than that, five weeks ago, that there was a unknown pneumonia going through China. And this was right around New Year's when we flew over. We transferred through Shanghai and didn't know anything about it. Like, okay. And then slowly while we're in Thailand, we're seeing this news reports from, you know, Asian media about this growing and growing and growing and then we get a transfer back through shanghai and we went over there during the new years everything was shut down and we stayed we were going to stay two nights we stayed one night we're going through the airport everybody had the masks on we're going through you know fortunately we're you know we were fine but looking at what the coronavirus you know is doing like it was and to get in and out of the airport was, oh, my gosh, there's so many hours. It's so long to go. Are they actually doing, like, inspections? or they, they You go through the heat thing. you got to take the mask off. You take your hat off, and you walk through this infrared thing where they just take temperature readings on people. But just going through the airport, like getting our luggage, going, taking a thing to the airport. Before you go in the airport, you got to go through a... a um, metal detector you got to put all your stuff through so we're carrying all our stuff and it's like you got to walk across the airport sit in line for an hour check in go through another thing immigration go through another thing go through the it's like it's it's exhausting it's really you know and that's the the unglamorous thing that you know of the travel you know you see the nice i'll have a post of me holding up a fish but you don't see like just the there's a lot up. that goes into that i got sick this past trip i got sick from heat week we were kayaking I had heat exhaustion. It was really hot, really humid, and I didn't hydrate properly. I honestly, I did not hydrate properly. Troy the trainer forgot. And I still make, you know, these, these mistakes that I should, you know, know about, and I'm trying to, you know, be better at it. But I, I we came off the water, and, and, and I had some, like, food poison. I had the shrimp thing, spicy shrimp thing, and I got back. I showered, and, I, and like, for two days. That doesn't so sound sick. like it. It sounds great to eat, but not, not when you got to be anywhere. Oh, I was sick. I got so sick. I got out of the shower that night and we had to, we had to transfer. It was the next day. So all night I stayed in bed for about 24 hours. Then I had to carry our luggage out. We had to go to the airport and fly from Phuket to Ching, to Chiang Mai. And I just felt like shit the whole for about two, while I'm traveling. Imagine just, and people have traveled while they felt bad. And this was like heated good heat i was heat exhaustion it's what it was like just i've had that before and it was right and i was just i had the shade and it was just like and that was that was a horrible one of the worst you know couple days i've ever had um traveling you know and that was just this last month and then on top of after that you know the coronavirus deal that's going on over there so there is you know there is some you got to be careful when you travel and and some of the tips you know that i said you know to you look for the cheap when you travel these places. You you can track flights on Google. You know, on that, that, that's and, and kind of closing up. That that was the thing my, I had for you because I've seen you sent me stuff like, "Hey, I went to so and so for 150 bucks," and I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Like so, yeah. Give us some of those those things that you. Yeah, track so a couple of yeah, Google flights you can track it. You can also I subscribe to Scott's Cheap Flights uh, Premium Service. You get that's how I got my my. You know, some of these really good notifications. You can also find it on Skyscanner. I do searches on Momondo, and you find these. You can track flights, and you look for these price drops, and they they drop off. And then you just find little cheap hotel deals that, you you know, I went over there with my girlfriend, and when we're staying in in Thailand, uh, she used her points. So for our flight, she she used her points to fly over on Delta, and then... You know the flights in within we had to we had to pay to fly down to uh, you know I got our flight to, to fly down with the other flights you know are, are sixty you know seventy bucks once you're in Thailand, and most of the hotels there are, are thirty five to forty dollars a night for a nice hotel meals are about five bucks each for person you know when we'd have lunch it'd be about ten bucks twelve dollars. I've seen some of the shit you're eating though. And I don't know if I'm going well, there. You're, you're, you're way more daring than I am. No wonder you're getting sick all the time. I mean, you're eating I scorpions and gotta. I did eat. I haven't posted that video yet of the scorpion. It was the biggest. I've ate scorpion in China before. They're like the smaller scorpion. This is a scorpion about that big. 
and it was it this was, is california troy eating this is not minnesota troy eating <laughs> this is minnesota this is minnesota troy eating scorpion from a market it was really crunchy except one of the claws i had to spit out one piece of the claw i couldn't put but the you know they cut off the stinger thing and you you bite into it and it's got a nice little warm juicy inside and nice crunchy outside and that's more for show anyway yeah. but, but there's good food and there's good deals when you go to europe there, there's ways to travel you know, on a on a budget and make it worthwhile eating out of convenience stores, getting little sandwiches and and you know where you're not spending a lot of when you're not spending a lot of money. Then there's ways to do it. And Netherlands too. Nice thing is Amsterdam is close anywhere. If you're traveling from Minneapolis, Chicago, New York, Philly, Atlanta, Dallas, you can get to Amsterdam. You know, pretty much nonstop and and pretty cheap relatively cheap you know some of those flights are 300 bucks 400 bucks if i was your agent i think i I see it i know you're doing this ontario experience tv show and everything but i think that this is this is your calling right here (laughs) you're you could be the anthony bourdain slash fishing guru setup travel guy i mean well it's you know thank you i i really enjoy doing it and it's and and what i enjoy out there is not when i go there i try to find the raw you know, if that's the right word, the the real fish. I just go to a city and I try to find where fish live without a guide. Sometimes I have, like, I meet up with my buddy Christian uh, Drost over in Amsterdam, and I'll go out with him. But when I'm when I fished in Amsterdam by my, or out, he's uh, a little bit east of Amsterdam. But when I'm fishing in Amsterdam, those times are just by myself without a guide. And anybody can do it. They can just go over there, bring a travel rod, and bring a little swim bait, bring a hook. You can pretty much go anywhere in the world and catch a fish. And that's what's kind of exciting. You know, you don't necessarily have to go spend $500, $600 in a day on a guide. Sometimes that's necessary, and that's the only way you can get bit, you know, and go catch a fish. But there's other cities, you know, I'd like to explore. Um, Paris, uh, Istanbul, um, Morocco. I almost went to Morocco this spring. I wanted to go fish um, Casablanca. And then up in the high Atlas Mountains, there's a lake for Xander, largemouth bass, and carp. And, and that's, you know, those are some of the, the exciting, you know, the exciting trips that are, you know, budget wise, you can make them happen relative. If you're solo traveler, if you're, if you're, if you're single and solo and you want to go on these trips, you can make it really cheap going basic economy, flying over there, doing carry on, um, with your hooks. You can do it very, very staying in hostels. I mean, you could do some of those fishing trips very cheap. Well, hopefully Very. next time I get the invite, I will uh, have a schedule that's clear because I, I, I yeah. definitely missed out on that. Uh, was it the Netherlands where you did the Xander? Yeah, Netherlands. Thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I missed out on that when I met those guys at uh, at ICAST with you. That were mm-hmm. they were characters. I'll say that. Uh, some big Xander. They were some big, characters for sure. Big Xander, big Pike over there, Pike and Xander perch. You know, it's a lot of fun. Well, leave us with one one either horror story or tip or something that will. Someone just have them with their jaw on the ground a little bit. Just one thing, because, I mean, again, as much as you're traveling as you've done, uh, not that the coronavirus uh, escape was not a big deal, but <laughs> give, just give us one really good thing that make me just kind of turn my head sideways. To, you know, on the, to think of the, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the, the amount of time. I'm trying to think of a crazy story. I, don't, I can't think of any necessarily offhand, but some of the, it's the, when you're traveling or when I'm traveling, it's the amount of time traveling. That's just it's airports and trains, and and I've made so many mistakes over there by miss you know barely missing a train, barely making a flight. Um, when I went over to Amsterdam, oh my gosh, I fled to Chicago and I watched the plane on the runway. Us six other people missed our conne- or the connection was late, so I had to stay overnight in, um, in in Chicago overnight. And we watched. There's like six of us pointing at the plane. I have a video of it. Like oh, we're supposed to be on that plane and it took off and. And those are the realities, you know, you see some of the stuff, you know, it's travel isn't always pretty, you know, you you can make nice, you see these travel videos and you see the perfect slow motion speed up shot and you see all this, but there's a lot of just crap that happens. You get sick. I got sick in Beijing, you know, just when I went there, you know, for the Olympics with Matt, I I got, I ate at some place. I got really, really sick and that's, that's part of it, getting getting your shots before you have to go, and also knowing where the hospitals are. If something bad happens, you know it's 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 kind of scary. Are but, there any apps or anything that you use on your phone when you're traveling that help you with 
whether it's hospitals or food or anything? I do download. I go to Google Maps and I download the offline maps. I go to the area and I download the offline maps that I can use, and I use the VPN app so um, so I can access. Like when you're in China, you can't access Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Um, oh, and Google, yeah. Google, Google Maps is also blocked over there. So the maps in China, if you're on Google Maps, you're walking around, they'll have you all over the place. It's like it's not the Chinese government. Well, they, they watch their, they keep an eye on their people there, and that's why I'm kind of careful when I when I was over there, like just with all the what I filmed and when I'm walking. Well, yeah, because yeah, they've got cameras everywhere, and yeah, if you're filming stuff, they're not about that. And I had a kind of chesty on and a tripod gopro and with my fishing rods and, and walking around and, and it's unfortunately i've never ran into any issues but it is uh it is something when i'm over there i try to you know i try to be very aware of my surroundings and nothing is ever besides eating a couple things and getting sick besides that i've never had any any major you know major issues you know i, I think the reality is here's the tip there is really no tip. It's no different than you go into a new body of water over here. You do a little bit of preparation. You do a little bit of, of, of homework. But the reality is you just got to go do it. And mm-hmm. the first time, it's not going to be as good. Maybe you, you luck into a few things, but timing and all those things, you just you got to go do it. And that's probably the, the – it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, that's part of the experience in itself, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, and when I went over there a couple of years ago, when I went to go catch Xander, I tried to find information on I couldn't find any information. Like a lot of these areas going to Thailand and street fishing over there, there's just there's no information online about a lot of this. And I don't know until I literally land and I tell Ann, like, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go fish. I'm going to go to this thing on Google Earth that looks like water. And I don't right. even fly across the globe, and I go, and a lot of times I don't catch anything. Sometimes I do, and it's that's you're just shaking the dice. But it's exciting, even if it's a tiny little fish. Well, I know you're going to have a lot more adventures, and we'll have to have you back on again and, and hear about Thank some you. some of these newest adventures. So we really appreciate your time. And, Thank you. Uh, until the next episode, keep fishing it up. Thank you for tuning into the Big Water Podcast. Make sure you like us, subscribe to us. Big Water Fishing, just everything from Facebook, Instagram to YouTube. Fishing's what we're talking about, even though we get on some tangents here like we did with Troy Linder. Thanks, guys.